and welcome to Women with Books. I'm your host, author Lindsay Emery. A very quick intro this week. I have so much to do. I'm not even done with taxes yet. Yikes. Um, and if I didn't have enough to do last week after this interview with blogger and new booktuber Elizabeth Lane, I decided to try to tackle my Kindle TBR list. I wanted to try to grip on what was in there, <laughs> what I had bought, what I wanted to read, what I didn't want to read. Um, I, I have all these reading priorities set up for myself and um, I'm wanted to spend some time making sure that I was going to get where I wanted to go. You know, I have goals to read from my TBR list, uh, to read things I've already bought. I have goals to read widely. I have goals to read people's backlists. <laughs> and I also have goals to stay up to date with what's hot and fresh in publishing, not only to bring uh, interviews to you guys, but also to kind of make sure that my publishing career um, is kind of on the right track. And so all of those things together, yeah, my Kindle is definitely a work in progress. Part of the problem is I'm definitely going through a period of self-discovery and, I don't know, evolution when it comes to books. And hell, I don't, maybe my whole life is evolving and the books are just a symptom of that. <laughs> it's a midlife crisis up in here. Who knows? Um, some of you may not follow my Lindsay Emery blog, which is at www.lindsayemery.com. And I try to do a monthly uh, ser blog series there. It's called Best Books to Read Now, where I give book recommendations based on what I've read that month. And I just started last month going over what I do not like about books. And I was only, I'm only putting that in my Lindsay Emery newsletter for professional reasons, um, partially and partially it's just kind of content that's exclusive to those followers who have kind of know me best. Um, because after my conversations with Becca Syme, and you'll find that in episode 36 for those of you who want to go back and listen, and then I listened to a RWA workshop from last year's RWA Nationals, and it was about, um, reading and writing to the id, I have been doing a lot of thinking about what kinds of books I really enjoy, what kind of really pulls all my heartstrings and gets me excited and gets me pumped to go to bed at night because, ooh, I get a chapter before I go to sleep. Um, and if I'm thinking about all those things, what I like to read and why, it leads me necessarily to if I don't finish a book, if I don't enjoy something, I have to ask myself why I didn't enjoy that. What was it that made me just go, yeah, I, I don't want to read this anymore. I think that's a huge part of if you're wanting to read widely and diversely in something, you constantly have to ask yourself these questions. You know, Am I not reading this book by a debut author because of craft? Am I not reading this debut author because they're showing me something I'm uncomfortable with or that I'm not used to? And should I keep going through that or should I go like, yeah, it's not just for it's just not for me. Um, and these are all really 
delicate conversations that we should have with ourselves and also that the writer community should be having. Um, You know, books are a source of enjoyment and fulfillment and joy. Great. Um, But how do we always keep a door open to the things that we're not used to um, or the things that we did not think we would like? I have a lot, I'll admit it, I have a lot of prejudices in my reading. And I I think I've talked about that a little bit on the show. You know, um, I will prefer to read a female author, a woman author over a male author. Why? Uh, Reasons. Some which may be perfectly valid and some may not. Um, I typically do not go for YA books. Um, Why? That's a good question. I think that I... uh, I don't know. I've read YA books that I enjoy, but not a whole lot. So, um, uh, oh God, that just put me for a loop. All right. That, that, this, this intro, this intro is getting long cause I'm doing too much talking, but anyway. Um, yeah. So if you're interested in more of all of this book discussions, of course, stay with the podcast. I always tend to bring it up, but, um, uh, my Lindsay Emery blog and my newsletter might also be a thing you'd enjoy. Um, so those, those links are in the show notes or on my website at lindsayemory.com. And of course, my Women With Books newsletter not only includes links to my podcast episodes, but also book-related podcast episodes I enjoy that are not mine, and the exclusive list of books that my guests recommend, because when you're listening to a podcast, you are probably not also shopping for books. So I give you those links so that you can go and look at those books later at your convenience. As you can tell from all of that, and from my conversation with Uh, Elizabeth Lane that you're about to listen to, I do a lot of thinking about book stuff. That's okay. I'm a nerd and I made my peace with that long ago. This episode has a lot of book nerdery. So if you think you can handle it, let's go on with Women With Books episode 41, 42. Oh my gosh, I need to check that. Welcome to Women With Books. We have Elizabeth Lane on the podcast today. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hi, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to have you. I think I've had you on my list for a while because I see you on Twitter and the social media sphere, and I always am like, we need to have a longer conversation about something. But it's hard to get into. (laughs) Oh, yeah, because you bring up like the most interesting things and you're doing the most interesting things. And I'm like, oh, wait, I need to. And even if it's something like, what are you eating today? (laughs) (laughs) What am I eating today? Um, Scrambled eggs and a granola bar. (laughs) Oh, that sounds fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not all gourmet fare over here, unfortunately. Well, um, for those of you who... For those out there who don't know Elizabeth Lane, why don't you introduce yourself and tell them what you do? Sure. Um, I'm Elizabeth. I um, started out um, four years ago, I guess, as a book blogger. Um, I wrote a blog called Cooking Up Romance, where I paired um, romance reviews with recipes. And I did that for a while. I did that to the point where I felt comfortable cooking professionally, which was a new thing for me. 
Um, I had never done that before. I'd always been sort of a at-home, self-taught cook um, and promptly got a job in a restaurant and no longer wanted to um, spend, you know, 40 hours a week testing recipes once I got home from my restaurant job. So I went through a period of about a year where, you know, I, I love books and I love being engaged in especially the romance uh, book community, um, but I needed to find something else. So um, I started a booktube channel um, and <laughs> booktube isn't its own thing. It's it's kind of a community of um, book reviewers and readers on YouTube and actually authors, too, although there are I think fewer authors on on booktube than there are um sort of doing some of these other things um, and um, and started a, a booktube channel, um, mainly framed around the um, idea that over the course of the past four to five years, since really becoming involved in the book community in a big way, um, I had purchased a lot of books, a lot of books to the tune of about 780 books <gasps> that I hadn't that many. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had, I had discovered ebooks, and so I bought. You know, I mean, they're sometimes they're free, they're cheap, they're easy to download, the one click. You know, um, yes. and um, and I and I have over, so roughly over over two hundred ebooks um, that I had downloaded that I hadn't that I hadn't read. Um, and um, and then also I discovered vintage romance in a really big way, um, just as particularly vintage category romance, so sort of the old um, harlequins and silhouettes and love swepts and delves. Um, and those can be had extraordinarily cheaply, even more cheaply than ebooks. <laughs> so you know, ten cents at a thrift store or something. And I have now, and and also conference conferences where free romance conferences you get a lot of free books. Um, I had I have a five hundred and sixty nine at last count. Oh, I've read some since the beginning of the year, but uh, five hundred and sixty nine paperbacks that I haven't read. So I decided to not buy books this year, and that that turned into sort of the concept for my my booktube channel. So that's in not at all a nutshell um, what I'm doing now. <laughs> <laughs> so is your do you have an, another name for your booktube channel? And I'll put the link in the show notes. But is it Elizabeth Lane or do you have another catchy little? Not Maybe. really. I mean, well, sort of. I mean, the, okay. <laughs> the, the headline, the the head channel header says my no book buying year, um, and that's okay. That's that's. But I haven't called the channel that, so you just have to search kind of my name, Elizabeth Lane. And okay, I didn't know it. if it was also a cooking up romance theme. Like, I mean, not at all. I know you said you weren't cooking anymore. Okay. Yeah. That's, well, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we talk about food at all. Sadly, <laughs> I know I echo a lot of other authors and readers who will say that was an amazing blog um you did such a beautiful job with it i really i was looking back and and at it while preparing for this today and i'm like this is beautiful content that will stand the test of time i mean those authors that you reviewed i hope they know how lucky they are <laughs> because um your photography was great your recipes are amazing who doesn't love food and book pairings um so i think that even though you've moved on from that that is such a beautiful testament to um your talent and your passion at the time. I mean, I hope you keep that up forever. It was a really, it was a really fun project. Um, I, I really, I, and it was great because I, I think one of the things that drives me personally is, um, is learning new things. Um, and, 
and so learning how to put together a website, learning how to take better photos. Um, over the course of, of cooking up romance, I went from a point and shoot, um, just basic little camera, to a DSLR, and I learned how to shoot in manual, and I learned how to take pictures in the winter when it was, you know, dark before dinner time uh, by, you know, actually lighting, lighting things. Um, so, you know, I, I learned really a lot uh, over the course of that, um, that project. And I, I do kind of think that at some point I may go back to it. Um, but, uh, you know, those posts, man, <laughs> they took well, you can tell. 40, 40 hours a piece, more or less. Yeah. It's really hard to maintain consistent levels of content production when something takes that long in terms of, I was only yeah. reading, I was only reviewing books that I, that I had enjoyed. So I had to find something that I really liked that had an obvious, not an obvious food hook. Sometimes the hooks weren't at all obvious. Um, but then taking the pictures and developing the recipe and editing the pictures. And, then, and I always laugh at my fellow reviewers who are like, oh my gosh, it took me an hour to write this review and I'm like <laughs> welcome to my world yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah I mean you can tell the the blog is like above and beyond anything oh, thank else. You. I mean not no offense to other bloggers out there I maybe I don't know maybe y'all are building houses and <laughs> I, I think there's everybody, going everybody on. has for, for sure, everybody has their own challenges. I, I'm really in awe of people who manage group blogs because th there's not only the, the sort of administrative stuff of figuring out who gets which book and getting posts up and getting links up. And it's also sort of determining sort of what the overall um, you know voice for the the blog should be, um, you know, choosing people and making sure that they're reflecting sort of your your vision for your your blog. I I, I just I find that idea extraordinarily um, daunting. <laughs> so I'm I'm really yeah. impressed by people who can manage that, especially individuals who who can manage something like that, where it's yeah. not like a big corporate endeavor. Right, and that's kind of you, you're right. I mean, that's kind of a different. I mean, you were creating this whole new content to go along with your reviews and those people are also curating you know a, a certain vibe for their blog and that's a different kind of talent and skill mm -hmm. um you know i would just throw everything in there and and make pan brownie <laughs> box brownies <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with box I brownies <laughs> oh, they're delicious they really um are. yeah um so so you did this amazingly beloved blog and for good reasons. I mean, I'm not shaming you for moving on, but yeah. you picked booktube and you already mentioned the word and I had heard the word before, but um, why don't you explain it to me like I am um, my grandma? <laughs> what is booktube? <laughs> well, okay. So um, it is. It's kind of like, actually, I'm trying to think of what the best, I mean, it, it, YouTube is kind of like television, right? It's, it's television on the internet, but produced by sort of individual people. So you're really getting a glimpse into individual readers' lives. Um, and frequently, um, the, I think there are a couple of different types of videos that are particularly popular, sort of obviously like reviews, um, recommendations, um, and then also uh, vlogs, which um, sometimes you hear that as sort of more of a catch-all term, but at least within sort of the YouTube community, it refers to kind of a specific type of video where you're really getting a glimpse into people's everyday lives. Um, I, I don't want to I don't want to call it exactly voyeuristic, but 
but it but it kind of it, it has that vibe you're you're being invited into someone else's life in this really intimate although edited way <laughs> Yeah. And I've I've poked my toe in there a few times. And I say in there because it really is it's like I don't know. And I'm an older mom, but my kids so are really I, into well, YouTube, mom, of course. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, YouTube, I don't see YouTube the way my kids do. I mean, my kids are like all in. They have friends who like get hundreds of thousands of people you know like to view things and there, there's like a whole nother world that I don't think if you're not growing up with it you're not really understanding it but mm. I like a lot of the things about YouTube I love um and I think you and I have this in common I love beauty tube is it called beauty yes. tube <laughs> Mu- uh, well, yeah I don't know yeah I guess so makeup I'm gonna call it that tu- I, yeah sure. makeup and hair tutorials <laughs> that's I mean, what got me into it too how this would have saved my middle school years if I could have just gone into my room and watched somebody do their bangs six inches high. <laughs> I mean, and, and and taught me all those things that I was completely clueless about. Yeah, same. My mother, my mother wore, you know, like a single eyeshadow shade. I think she had an eyeshadow single that she wore every every day. And when she ran out of it, she went out and bought the exact same color. You know, there there was no I mean, and possibly that's also changes in like makeup trends and stuff. But my mother couldn't have taught me anything about um, how to do my makeup. And, And it was just really, I guess, two or three years ago that I sort of discovered the world of actually, well, I was trying to figure out how to do um, a winged liner on my hooded eyes. I Googled, I'm like, how do we, how do I, I'm like hoping to find like a blog tutorial or something. And I was like, oh my gosh, this YouTube thing's amazing. (laughs) You can find anything on here. Yeah. What I was just even talking to my kids about, and this is kind of off topic, but not really, because um, you're talking about you get a vision, you get a view into other people's lives. You know, I'm watching my kids watch all sorts of videos and with all sorts of people. And I'm like, you really, your generation is seeing more people from around the world, um, people of other orientations and trans people. And I'm like, you are, you have a window into all these other lives. Like your generation could be the most like, I don't know, connected generation. And the people who you, you guys accept everyone. I mean, my girls are like, well, some boys like green eyeshadow, like so-and-so on YouTube. And I'm like, if you guys didn't have that, you wouldn't know. Um, even just from mainstream culture these days. So it's, it's really interesting to me to see that this window, and I'm, you know, I hope it can, will be used for good instead of evil. <laughs> but yeah. um, it's really inspirational for me to see you know, how that's expanding their world. Um, And one of the things that I think has been interesting in, in terms of getting involved in the booktube community is I, so I, I turned 40 last year. Um, and, um, and I would say the vast majority of my peers on booktube are sort of more in their early to mid twenties, not, not exclusively, but they do tend to be younger. The larger channels for the most part developed out of, um, YA, um, book fandom rather than say romance fandom um, and so it's interesting to kind of see them um, discover romance in a really different way than I did <laughs> um, and then also and then also sort of puts me into touch with 
sort of the tastes of people who are, you know, a full generation, really, you know, younger than I am. Um, and seeing what they find fascinating is fascinating to me because it's just not something that I would necessarily be exposed to. For example, I spend a lot of time on Twitter. And, and for the most part, I think sections of, of the romance community can turn into echo chambers where we're all recommending oh, the same yes. books to each other. Um, uh-huh. And, and it's, so I think it's, so it's been fascinating to me to see an entire an entirely different ecosystem of recommendations evolving out of an entirely different system of of ways of choosing books than I'm familiar with as as a I don't want to say as an old person but like on YouTube I'm an old person no no I, I think you are because I would be um and I we're about the same age uh but yeah if I went on YouTube oh my gosh first of all my kids would be humiliated they would be just crawling under a rock someplace but um, there there is definitely a generational thing and actually I was talking to my kids about this too I was like you know the the girls the fashion beauty bloggers that got started um you know five six years ago they're all getting married and having babies now and there's like a whole generation now that they have matured on YouTube and what are they going to bring to that space now and what are their you know cohorts bringing to that space and so I find this really interesting especially as an author and a book lover you know what what do you think we can see by looking at all of these booktube channels i mean do you see trends coming up or i mean i know there's not as many romance people but just in books in general so i think one of the things that i have noticed about um about uh, this is a horrible generalization i think there there's probably um uh, this is based on a fairly small um, range of channels, um, but I, I would say that for the most part, I'm interested in the fact that almost none of them read category romance. So category romance mm-hmm. is um, numbered uh, typically books in um, romance lines from specific publishers with very specific um, constraints in terms of the kinds of things that they're allowed to um, include and not include. So they have like a a specific thrust in mind when they publish a book. Um, And and none of these booktubers, not a single one of them, I've never seen them pick up a category romance. Um, Hmm. They... um, they more of them read paperbacks than ebooks paperbacks right. and hardbacks um, which is fascinating to me as an almost exclusive digital reader <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I have all these paperbacks because all the things that I wanted to read are out of print but um, but uh, I would much prefer reading uh, in in ebook um, so that's something that I've noticed, um, which also I think lends more importance to covers. Um, I don't pay much attention to covers at all because I see it once when I buy the book and then I never see it again um, mm-hmm. as an ebook reader. Uh, and and yet these you know people buy books for the covers in a way that I haven't seen since you know I, you know I've the 2000s early 2000s <laughs> um yeah and 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 beautiful books um have sort of gained i think prominence in a way that I, it would never have occurred to me in terms of like acquiring something just because it's beautiful and not necessarily because the the content of it looked like something you would love to to read 
Is um, it because it's beautiful or because it photographs well on social media or YouTube? You know, I, I don't know that I necessarily draw a Is there not a distinction? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think, you know, I think what, for whatever reason, the, 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 the ultimate reason, whether it's, you know, just acquiring a book for a picture or whether it's just because they, you know, find it, find it beautiful. I mean, I think the, the, the net result is the same because then that, that, book is shared so widely in some of these cases that, you know, who knows what, what might happen <laughs> with it yeah. um, or who might pick it up and for what reason. Um, um, and then I think also, also, I, I, the one thing that I have, the other thing that I've noticed that I, that I find a little bit distressing um, is that it, um, as a community is not as diverse as I would mm. um as I would, not as inclusive as I would prefer. Um, I think um, there's a certain baseline understanding of sort of inclusivity is good and inclusive reading is good, but um, the way that that plays out in practice isn't necessarily as um, as strong as what I would hope. Um, and I think part of the reason is that um, because of this focus on paperbacks, they they tend to trend um, pretty significantly toward traditional publishing. And as we know, mm-hmm. the, the ripped bodice, the all romance bookstore, put out their diversity report last week. And, and traditional romance publishing is not strong in that area. Um, I, yeah. I think they said 18 of 20, 18 of the 20 romance publishers surveyed had 90 percent white authorship. So right. um, so when so when the people who are able to send out. Um, vast numbers of paperback arcs to um, these influencers, and when the when those people are are only the people who have sort of that corporate backing of traditional publishing behind them, um, it makes it really hard, I think, for um, for uh, diverse writers to break into that space. Um, and then also, when it comes right down to it, the, the medium itself, I think, is challenging because, um, you know, I, I was lucky in that I had sort of slowly over the course of five years while I was writing my blog acquired lighting and an appropriate camera. And of course, I have a laptop and um, I was able, based on my sort of economic status in life, to just run out and purchase the proper editing program for video. Um, but but the barriers to entry, the financial barriers to entry to, um, to a YouTube channel, uh, you know, it, you've really got to have uh, decent picture quality and decent audio quality um, in order to to gain a significant following, and that's really hmm. almost impossible to do with a cell phone camera. So, huh? Uh, you know, so there's that. Is that too. something I had not thought about? Well, because before we started recording, you and I were briefly talking about. Um, podcasting and because I remember also talking to you about this on the internet <laughs> that you had briefly thought about doing a podcast um, but you hadn't for various reasons um, but you had said something about like how a lot of I don't know did you say there were more authors doing podcasts than YouTube um, or? so I, I think um, one of the things that has been interesting to me is is watching sort of the the uh, ecosystem of um, romance reviewing and romance blogging change over the course of the past five years. I feel like I caught the tail end of the heyday of romance blogging. Um, I, um, I the we've seen so for example um, ha, um, ha, 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 what's the USA Today 
<laughs> happily, happily ever after? <laughs> it wasn't happily ever after. It was something else. But you know what I mean. But, so USA Today had a had a, a romance um, site blog that they ran. Um, Heroes and Heartbreakers had a site that they ran. Um, yes. Romantic Times. Okay, I'm looking um, it up. So I because this is bothering they, me. <laughs> yes, USA Today happily ever. It was a play on USA Today. Happily happy ever anyway. after. Just happy ever after. Happy ever after. That's what's really? coming up. Yeah, oh, USA okay. Today's happy anyway. ever after. So, um, so the <laughs> the even large corporate blogs um, were not clearly seeing the traction that they needed in order to stay afloat. Um, Romantic Times had been published since the eighties. Um, yeah. So you know, so the long form reviews sort of in print and on the internet, I think, um, for whatever reason, are not as attractive to readers and therefore, I guess, advertisers um, as they were, say, five or ten years ago. Um, and and really, I think we've seen an explosion, especially in the last year of podcasts. So there are, I mean, I think the last time I counted, I came up with 20 romance-focused podcasts. I mean, to one degree or another. I yeah. Mean, some of them are, are more, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and that's that's kind of more than any one podcast listener. That's more than any one podcast listener could listen to. Um, and then, of course, you have to kind of look at the size of the sort of romance space. And, you know, I I don't know. It, that field started to look really crowded to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I know that a number of authors have sort of picked up on the, the podcast um, model as a way of sharing sort of short um, audio content, whether they read it themselves or whether they hire actors or, you know, um, to to um, to share sort of like promote their stuff. Um, and it seems like YouTube would be another YouTube booktube would be in another way of sort of doing that, except for sort of that that barrier to entry of needing like a camera and lighting and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's interesting. I know that when my debut came out in early 2015, um, there was, my publisher was still very big, like, OK, we're going to book you on all these blogs and stuff. And then very soon after that I mean I want to say at least by 2017 (laughs) there it was like cliff it was no one was using blogs no one wanted to you know no one was reading blogs and um and I, well, I don't know. I mean, was that the impression that we get, well, or is know, that I, like I, I the think truth? One of the thing, unfortunately, I think one of the things that happened to blogs is that um, is that there that I really always saw a divide between um, blogs that were doing um, really substantive. I mean, not even substantive. I mean, it might even have only been five paragraphs, but really honest reviews of mm. um, of romance and giving recommendations to readers about whether or not they should purchase a particular book um and there was just this absolute plethora of um of blogs doing book tours and cover reveals and that where you would see the same post about a book 10 times Uh over the course of (laughs) you know over the course of a week um and i just i don't i don't know i think to that i think to some extent you know blogs became synonymous with that which I really kind of doubt 
that as being sort of valuable content to most readers. Um, And then also, of course, I think um, Amazon in particular um, has really pushed um, reviews in terms of, well, Amazon in terms of their like sort of algorithm rankings and then also services like BookBub that use, you know, sort of numbers of Amazon reviews, I think, is kind of one Mm -hmm. of the qualifiers for, um, for, for, you know, whatever. for participating, and that's become a really big promotional thing for authors to do. Um, and so authors have really pushed people to do Amazon reviews. And when you have a blog that you're trying to run at some expense of, you know, to yourself and in terms of your time, in terms of, you know, what you're doing, then it, it and, and everyone doesn't really care about that. They just want the Amazon review. It's a little demoralizing for a blogger. <laughs> Oh, um, to yeah. be to be to, to be told, you know, oh no, forget about that. We don't care about your site. We just want you to put it on Amazon. Well, that that accrues absolutely no benefit to the blogger. Mm-hmm. That's true. Oh, so much to think about. And again, it's <laughs> like how much of it is the echo chambers that we all get sucked into. I mean, I'm sure that there's people out there who are listening to this right now, going, "I still read blogs," or "I still blog," sure. or you know, all this stuff. But you've you know, each of us could be in our own little routine and we read the same sites and we check the same accounts and we only get that information that's in our bubble. And I mean, this this has ramifications for, I mean, the whole country and the whole world. <laughs> but it's so interesting to me. But I, what I'm definitely hearing is that YouTube is where it's at. No. <laughs> I don't think that's true yet. I actually think that podcasts yeah, no. are where it's at right now. Genuinely, I think podcasts and Instagram, um, in particular, I think are, oh, are Instagram huge. are yes, huge right now. Totally. Yeah. Um, and um, I think it's interesting that that the sort of more um, I've seen sort of a split in terms of we used to kind of talk about Twitter romance landia versus like Facebook romance landia and how that mm-hmm. really diverged in terms of the kinds of things that people were reading and the kinds of things that people wanted to talk about. And the kinds of books that people were recommending, um, and and I think Instagram kind of developed its own its own thing. I mean, I think um, you know it's interesting. I, I I would have said that I think it skews younger. I'm actually not sure that it does based on my own numbers, but um, but uh, I think in terms of the the kinds of books that I see on Instagram, it's really different than the kinds of books that I see recommended on Twitter or even on Facebook. Um, and then also. Um, I would say that YouTube map, maps more closely to the Instagram um, folks and that um, podcasts map more closely to Twitter. Um, Interesting. In terms of the kinds of, yeah, in terms of the kinds of things that I see people talking about or hear about people talking about. Yeah. And obviously, I don't, and, as I, I said, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts, but, you know, you see their tweets come through and, and what they're talking about in that particular episode on that particular day. And it's all the same things that we talk about on Twitter. Yeah. So, and and this is, again, I'm referencing part of our conversation before we got started, was one of the reasons why you said, what? well, why don't you listen to podcasts? I'll let you explain it. Oh, okay. So, well, there's a couple of reasons. Um, mainly, it's that I'm just a terrible auditory processor. I just, I have a really hard time listening. I, I, I really, I focus really um, 
closely on things and so I have a really hard time listening and making sense of things while I'm doing something else so like people always talk about oh I love to listen to podcasts while I'm you know folding laundry or cleaning the house I can't do it I, I completely space yeah. out <laughs> um, so really the only time I can do it is when I'm there there's two things I clean the soft serve machine at work um, I'm a baker <laughs> so um, I clean this up when I'm cleaning the soft serve machine at work and when I'm driving and so, so those are the two times the two activities that I can like focus on listening to something while I'm doing something else um, and I I, um, I have a lot of audiobooks um, and it's a great way of sort of filling in uh, things that I you know maybe have a hard time getting through in like paperback or an ebook because maybe they're paced a little weirdly or whatever anyway so I listen to I listen to audiobooks and I have a really limited amount of time for listening and so I, I tend to listen to audiobooks um, that's just yeah that's just but you me. love audiobooks <laughs> you're I, an audiobook um, listener audiobook I reader. I that I would say I love audiobooks. <laughs> okay. I have a love-hate relationship with audiobooks. I think um, I, I, there are some things I particularly enjoy listening to in audio. Um, namely, um, sort of um, urban fantasy paranormal series, which have a tendency to go on for like six or eight or twelve books. Um, and the idea of approaching that is daunting in like paperback uh, yeah. or an ebook. That's a huge commitment. But if I listen to it in audio, I feel like that's like extra time, <laughs> like time I'm re- reclaiming for reading. <laughs> um, and then also um, books that I have a hard time, like I said, because of their pacing. So um, I've never really been able to read Georgette Hare. So uh, um, sort of pro-man- proto-romance uh, writer from, I think, mostly like the 1920s. I think she started. Anyway, so mm-hmm. um, her books are not paced like modern romances. I tend, to, I tend to find their, especially the early chapters, difficult for me to sort of push through. But I've had a lot of success with her in audio. And I really like her. The, there's an audible narrator, an uh, older woman who narrates her books on, on audible um, that I really enjoy. So I, I listen to her in, in audio a lot of the time, too. That's interesting. Um, I have not really gotten into audiobooks right now. Actually, I'm reading, reading, listening. I, I can't even say I'm reading it. It's like weird to me. I, <laughs> it's reading. I'm listening, it reading. It, I know it does, but it's, I'm not into that space yet. But I think there's different reasons for that. But there's one that I'm reading right now. And it's because my husband wanted me to read it. And it is like a very... Um, I guess I want to say it's not self-help, but basically it's kind of self-help bro, mm-hmm. you know, entrepreneurial type thing. And he was like, oh, you need to read this. And I was like, okay, it's just, oh, it's just awful. It's just, I, oh, I don't no. know how. Is it, I, is it I, the I'm narrator it, or is it the, the subject matter? I think it's the subject matter. And oh. because it's kind of like a tech, how to, I mean, he reads the links. So it's like WHTTP colon backslash oh, backslash. And, and I'm like, stop. <laughs> I can't, I can't click on that anyway. And I don't give a crap. Um, but I'm doing it because my husband asked me to do, and I'm sure we'll have good conversations about it one day. But um, yeah, but I haven't, I've, I've dipped my toe into like memoir and nonfiction, but I haven't gotten into fiction yet because I feel like I'm the opposite. I feel like I can listen to podcasts while I'm doing other things because I really am not that invested in it. You know, if I'm listening to, um, you know, a book podcast or something, I, I can kind of go, I can kind of let it go in the background. And I know 
like I can kind of jump forward and around and it's going to be interesting content, but I don't need to follow each and every word. I feel like with fiction, I'm going to need to follow every single word. And then I'm just sitting in a chair listening to an audiobook. And if I'm doing that, I might as well just be reading it. So yeah. I mean, reading it, I reading read it, it ah. fast, faster than have it read to me. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. But I understand that there's tons of people like I have this neighbor on my street who I swear she did not think I was published until I got an audiobook out. And then she's like, oh, you're a writer. Oh, I guess. Yes, I am. Now that you can listen to it. I am. But That's funny. I just, I find the whole, I, I ask a lot of people on the podcast too. And just in general, I'm just fascinated with this because I haven't really become that yet. So I don't know if it's also the time of my life where if I am listening to things, I can't always listen to audiobooks in the car with kids in there. Right. And that is a lot of my listening time. I mean, I can usually listen to a podcast in the car. There are not that many, you know, F-bombs or whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, but with books, I don't know what's coming up. So I'm just, yeah. Anyway. You'd um, probably be safe that's... with Georgette Hare. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. So actually, well, we're talking about Georgette Hare and you kind of... Um, brief you've already kind of mentioned your love of vintage category romance and i have to and i knew this about you but did you always love vintage category romance or did you start reading it when you were little or how how has this all come about you know i have no idea <laughs> i know i no. <laughs> I can be I can be That's more fine. than that i promise no so um i think so what happened was i um I started reading romance at 15, um, and I had read um, my first, uh, I, th- I think, I think my, fr- it was definitely You were a late uh, bloomer Julie- then. Uh, <laughs> late bloomer, you guys are so funny, <laughs> you and Lexi. Um, so, um, the, I, so I think what's funny is that I started, a, a friend gave it to me. I remember, I remember it very clearly. Um, she handed me that, she handed us this, it was me and another friend, and she, she put this book in front of us, and there was a, you know bodice ripper style clinch cover on uh, and and it it was a, a guy in a kilt and um and we were all obsessed with highlander at the time and she she just um she was like you guys there's there's sex in this book <laughs> and it was i think i think it was um the bride by um by julie garwood yeah, uh, because I just recently read The Secret, and I knew it was one or the other. I read them both, but um, I think it was The Bride. Anyway, so I started reading sort of these historical romances, and then sort of moved on to and on my used bookstore at at home when I was you know fifteen. Um, had all of the romances sort of lumped in with all the fiction and everything. So I, I started to really look at the covers um, in order to determine what was what was romance and what was just kind of regular boring fiction. Um, and I, I eventually sort of moved into like Sandra Brown, um, who was writing for um, Love Swept at the time. Um, and um, so I did read some, I wouldn't say vintage, they were 90s, you know, category romances. Um, and then coming back to romance really in like 2013 um after not reading it for many years um over you know college and then getting you know more into sci-fi and fantasy um i um i I, when i started my blog there was something about just i picked up a couple in a row um the the fab well no that was terrible 
It was an Anne Wheel, so 1970s Harlequin romance. Uh, I started to say it was the Fabergé cat, but it wasn't. That one was terrible. Um, it was an, it was um, the the oh man. I'll have to give it to you for the show notes. Anyway, it was this really okay, fascinating yeah. 1970s um, Harlequin romance. Um, and the you could almost watch society change in this book. Mm. You could almost see sort of the, the, the decline of sort of traditional thinking about women having careers and children and marriage and, you know, what levels of sexual experience were appropriate for an unmarried woman. Changing, I think that one had sort of changing mores on birth control. I mean, and oh. so these, these 1970s categories are just like this snapshot of this really interesting period of time in sort of feminist history, um, women's history. Um, and, And not only that, but knowing that they were available for purchase in a grocery store. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> or in like a drugstore, little spinny, roundy drugstore things. Like these weren't necessarily. Oh, I remember books those. That, yeah. That you would that you would you know have to go into a bookstore to acquire, and frankly, bookstores probably wouldn't have had them. It, it, mm. And it, or or things. I mean, for a while, Harlequin was giving away books with detergent. Years and years and years ago. I mean, so so the this this. Um, sort of dovetailed interest in romance and in women's history and then just sort of seeing the way that um, women's stories were portrayed in these just really, um, you know, mass market, readily available books. It's just sort of a fascinating sociological study. So I just, I I think that sort of, and then my interest sort of exploded from there in terms of like going backwards into, you know, like Harlequin's history and then also forwards in terms of, um, you know, those were, um, Harlequin was owned by um, a Canadian company that was reprinting um, Mills and Boone, so British Britain short romances. And when um, publishers in the U.S. saw how well they were doing. They came out with sort of Del Candlelight and um, and and Love Swept, um, and so the, and and Silhouette actually, and then Silhouette was purchased by Harlequin. Anyway, it's not important. Important. The important thing is then you sort of started to see the 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 um, American spin on that, and being able to see how different the American written books were than these like British written Canadian published books. Uh, the entire thing is just uh, I find it completely absorbing. I could I could talk about it for hours. You should probably stop me. <laughs> no, no. Well, I find it absorbing. That's why I asked you about it. Now, are you covering some of this on the BookTube channel? I or, am. I saw yeah, something no, I about am. Romance 101, so I didn't know how yes. deep you so, cuz I I'm, th- I'm listening to you going this could be a class. This could be a <laughs> college level like romance and I'm not sure I'm the right one to teach it. 20th century feminism. (laughs) Yeah, no, it absolutely Well, you would be be providing uh, the text then. (laughs) Right. So so, um, I am talking about it a little bit on BookTube. And one of the reasons that I sort of, um, I'm sort of interested in that, in doing that, is that I am looking at sort of this generation of people who are sort of 15 years younger than I am and who have never been exposed to like the the dark heroes of 1980s pseudo-gothics, you know? 
and they think that these bad boy romances that they love are this great big new thing. <laughs> and they're not <laughs> at all. <laughs> they're, oh, they, honey, they let me to, show to, you. <laughs> to Heathcliff. <laughs> um, anyway, so... Um, so I start, and, and then also just like confusion in terminology. I had people asking me questions in the comments, sort of like, well, what's a, what's a clinch cover? What's a, what do you find so fascinating about old school romance? And I was like, okay, let's just, and, and I, and I started to have the compulsion to like define my terms as I was, <laughs> as I was making videos. And I was like, wait a second, wait a second, let's just make a series of videos that I can reference <laughs> when I'm talking about these things so that people are able to, you know, sort of get, get the gist of, of what I'm saying. Um, so I did. I started a Romance 101 series. Um, so far, I've talked about sort of romance vocabulary, things like um, plot elements like meet cutes or black moments. Um, and then I, I, talking about subgenres, um, I talked about subgenres. I talked about um, decoding covers, sort of how to how to take a look at a romance cover and figure out what might be sort of between the, the pages of the book. Okay. Um, can we talk about this well, real quick? Yeah. I want to talk about covers because I saw something on social media where you said something about um, you just spent like two days looking at covers or something. <laughs> uh, yes, I did. And I am obsessed with covers. I think I, we've already kind of briefly talked about it in their role in social media these days. But I'm because I'm a very visual person. I mean, this goes back to like my audio book, maybe hesitation is I'm very, very visual. So when you spend this time talking about romance covers what were you what, were you looking at trends or were you looking at i don't know what were you looking at tell me about it so i think mostly what i was looking at was um the kinds of visual codes that mean something to a veteran romance reader that a someone new to the genre wouldn't pick up on. So I think throughout this series, I've sort of had in mind like um, booksellers or librarians or people new to the genre who maybe just don't have sort of the grounding in um, in what the, the details of romance. So um, I was mostly looking at um, subgenres, sort of how to tell what subgenre a book might be by its cover, and then also heat levels, um, because mm. people have distinct preferences in terms of whether they want, you know, a lot of sexual content in a book or whether they want no sexual content in a book. And I was curious to see if there was a way that you could tell just by looking at the cover um, whether a book was, you know, more or less likely to to contain, you know, that kind of material. Um, so I wasn't really yeah. looking at trends so much, although I okay. did end up sort of having to um, having to sort of um, talk about that a little bit, particularly in regard to illustrated covers, which, you know, you have. Yes. So you probably have some thoughts on this, too. Um, yes. And 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 so what I found was really interesting is that um, so illustrated covers are really, really big um, on on BookTube. Um, they've become very popular for romantic comedies. Um and and it's so funny to see something like um, well like the the kiss quotient which you know I I I, it, I really enjoyed that book um, and it does have a um, a male escort as a hero but I didn't think it was it, it was it was 
well, <laughs> let me go back to why I'm saying this. So in my youth, <laughs> um, in like 2000, when I was graduating from college, chick lit was on the upswing. So 95 yes. to you know mid 2000s, maybe. Um, and to me, illustrated covers meant chick lit. It meant sort of a, a younger women's fiction with romantic elements, but the relationship was probably not cent- was not as central as sort of the women woman's journey, the young woman's journey in that story. Think like Bridget mm-hmm. Jones, right? Um, versus now, where um, the the books um, with these illustrated covers are very much romance. Um, they're yes. they're they're very very romance. <laughs> they're not women's fictiony at all. Um, they have quite a bit more explicit sexual content. Sometimes very very hot. Um, that would not have been indicated by um, an illustrated cover. So somebody, for example, a librarian or someone walking into a library and picking up, you know, say the Kiss Quotient or maybe Tessa Bailey's new one, um, is going to have a very different experience with that book than they would have, you know, with the like Jennifer Wieners of the past, right? <laughs> um, no, I, that, I, that was I'm not, totally it's not with... at all the same kind of book. No, and that's what I was totally thinking about, and and for the same reasons with the Kiss Quotient is that I think that if you aren't familiar with the genre and you saw maybe like a Lorraine Heath or I'm thinking Christy called, you know, one of those Avon, mm-hmm. they're very swirly. Maybe the dress is falling off the heroine. The mm-hmm. hero is bare chested. Mm-hmm. You see that and you're like, oh, that's a sexy book because those two people are embracing and they are half dressed. And right. then you would see maybe uh, the kiss quotient or the hating game or something. Mm-hmm. And you'd be like, oh, that's cute. That looks like something that Doris Day would be reading. Right, closed door. No, yeah. (laughs) Right. And you would totally, I mean, not that there's not sex in those historicals, but oftentimes that's not as spicy as (laughs) what might be in these illustrated covers. And so there's actually been like a shift. And then I think what's really interesting is that for a couple, a decade or so, object covers where they might have just a pair of dice on the table or a compact. And you're like, oh, well, that is like an old Danielle Steele book. Right. No, it was not. No. Because the dice were were something else entirely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. BDSM so erotic. It, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, but, but they were. It was just about someone going to Vegas. No, it was not. Um, and I don't. Really, I'm not even thinking of a cover about dice, but there probably was one. Um, yeah. No. I, I. I understand what you mean, though. Yeah. Ties. And so, yeah, ties or a, a, a jewel. Oh, it's here, here's yes, a set of earrings on big. a cover. Yeah. Yes. Um, it did not mean what you thought it might mean. But those of us in the book world knew. I mean, it's it's so very fascinating to me. Like, we pick up on these things very quickly. And it's a shared um, visual the, language. Yeah. But the illustrated covers, I think, are... It is a new trend, and it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. Um, obviously, it's not hurting sales because they're still doing it. So um, I don't know what it might say. I mean, maybe in 20 years, we'll be looking back and thinking like, wow, they hid sexuality under a light veneer of you know cartoons or something. I don't know what I, they're going to say about us. but I, I have wondered about... Um, it, a lot of these books are quite diverse. So a lot of them are written by authors of color. 
Um, and yes. I have sort of wondered a little bit about the availability of stock art. Um, yes, in I terms think that of the is... decisions that people are making with regard to these covers. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't know if that's a factor. Right. No, I think that was totally, I mean, when you saw Jasmine Guillory's cover for the first time, it was striking and modern and fresh and fun. And then, you know, because I'm in publishing, I was also like, you know, the reality was they probably couldn't find a decent stock art of a white hero and a African-American female um, Mm -hmm. that would do the book justice. So they gave her something entirely different and entirely better, obviously, and it obviously has not hurt her sales. <laughs> no, not but, at all. Um, not for the Kiss Quotient either. I think that was everyone's favorite, yeah. favorite book last year. Um, but it is interesting, like, these practicalities maybe gave rise to this new trend. And, um, you know, we'll see where it goes. But yeah, um, I knew I could talk to you about that because I know you were probably seeing the same <laughs> things I was. <laughs> yes, no, absolutely. Well, um, so you've also got on your, and I'm sorry, we're talking, I knew this conversation would go long. Um, I'm sorry. (laughs) No, 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 no. I want to talk about these things. So the other thing you're talking about on your um, booktube, and you already briefly talked about it, was your no spend, you're not buying any books. I'm not, in 2019, I'm not, well, is that right? Yeah, I mean, I have I have some rules, so um, I can I can oh, take out yes. book I can take out books from the library, um, in in some capacity, and then also because I have those 569 paper paperbacks, the vast majority of which are vintage category romance, so um, not uniformly white, but but predominantly white. Um, I. Um, I, I wanted to make sure that my reading was still inclusive. Um, and so I did allow myself to, for so I get um, Amazon affiliate payments, um, not a lot, but you know, enough to keep me in some books um, that I have um, ag- agreed to um, spend on uh, authors of color and um, LGBTQ plus authors, d- disabled authors, so people who maybe have not been given as much of a, a voice or a chance in traditional publishing. Um, and so um, I am able to purchase those, but only as I can read them. I'm trying not to add books to my TBR this year. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, so I, as I as I go, I'll, I'll purchase um, a book here and there. Um, but those are the only ones that I'm going to be purchasing. And I would say that's going to be... Mm, maybe 10 or 12 books, maybe one a month, just because of the number of books I'm trying to read off my TBR this year. I'm trying to limit the number of books that I buy. But um, I, um, yeah, I, I looked at my my pile of books that I have, my 780 books. Um, and then also, um, I, <laughs> this is funny. I want to replace, we have a condo and I have um, carpet in it. And I, after eight years with a dog, I kind of hate the carpet. It's impossible yeah. to deal with, which I'm sure you can relate to if you have children. Um, oh, and, <laughs> and dogs, is, yeah. Carpet <laughs> is a non, non, oh, and dogs. Okay, good. So carpet is a non-starter. Um, and um, and so, you know, I thought, okay, well, maybe I just, we, I, we were looking at setting a budget and I was like, well, maybe I should set myself a book budget this year. And I was thinking kind of maybe like, I don't know, $25 a month or something. That seems like, you know, enough to buy the books that's, that I'm really excited about. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then I, and then I was like, okay, well, let me just 
just double check and see what I spent last year. And I went and I looked and it really it actually wasn't an astonishing amount um, in terms of ebooks. Um, I actually didn't put those numbers in front of me. I should have. But um, it was only it was a couple hundred dollars. So really, like that was pretty reasonable. But then I, I had sort of forgotten to look at like the Kindle Unlimited subscription and the Audible subscription and the Audible Romance Package subscription. It, it added up to, I think, like seven hundred dollars that I spent on books last year. Um, mm. So, you know, which, which honestly, it's not it's not that big of a deal. I can afford it. But in terms of looking at... It's like five, um, going to the movies five times. <laughs> right. No, no, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a cheap hobby when you look at it that way. But um, but looking at the number of unread books I have and looking at, you know, the number of what we, you know, wanted to save toward being able to pay cash for our flooring at the end of the year, I just went, do I need to buy more books this year? <laughs> Do I really need to do that? Um, and, and the answer was no. Um, but I knew I wouldn't be able to do it alone. <laughs> I knew I was going to have to be publicly accountable in some way. Um, and I kind of thought about, well, maybe I could find a local friend or maybe I could, you know, just literally tell the entire world via a YouTube channel. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> need accountability here. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of where it started, um, where I just I said, OK, well, let's let's just um, let's be publicly accountable and, and do it that way. And so that's why I um, that's why I, I decided to do it on YouTube. Um, well, good luck with that. Thank you. I, it's gone, I, it's gone you surprisingly know, I... well so far. Yeah, and we're in March, I, I so really that's felt, pretty good. I haven't really felt just I haven't really felt deprived, which which is lucky. The library, you know what I love about the library is not just that you can get free books, but if it is not available, you can put it on hold and then they'll call you when, and I, I'm talking in this because this is like me, like I realize this is, and then they'll call you when it's available. So I wish, and Amazon doesn't do that. You know, it's like, cause there's so many times you go and you go look up a book on Amazon. You're like, okay, yeah, one click. And and the library is like, hold on, <laughs> hold on for two weeks, and then we'll give it to you. And you realize like how addicted, or I realized how addicted I had been to that one click. It's very smart, Amazon, very, very smart. Because I still get the book if I have to wait two weeks at the library, mm -hmm. and I get it for free. So there's some benefit there. Um, two weeks or three weeks or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, the one click is... I should probably disable it, but I use Amazon for so many other things in my life, like guinea pig food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Other um, stuff that I really, it is very helpful for a, a working mom. So, um, oh, wait, of, you need the, this for your school tomorrow? Okay, one click. Right. Um, and yeah. one, actually, one of the things about this project that I, I had kind of anticipated because I'd seen people do no makeup buys, right? So this is a concept that I was familiar with, at least from YouTube. Um, there's a YouTuber named Hannah Louise Poston who um, bought, went a year without buying makeup and only replacing her skincare. And so that's sort of, that was sort of the model for my project. And, um, and, and it's amazing the things that she learned about herself, about her purchasing um, behaviors about sort of the, the psychology of buying about um, mm. sort of e corporate ethics and responsibility um, mm -hmm. and 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 it was it was I, I I have also been surprised at the number of things that I've learned about myself and about sort of Amazon and when you slow down your purchasing and mm -hmm. and you have to 
consider every purchase very carefully, um, you do have time to wonder about things like um, Amazon's corporate ethics, for example, <laughs> and, and to at least slow down and think about it. I'm not, I'm not trying to say, oh, people shouldn't buy books from Amazon. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is in terms of, you know, thinking about for myself, you know, am I reflecting my own values um, in, in one clicking books from Amazon automatically? Or right. is there a better way? It just gives me the, the, the space and the freedom to think about it. Yeah. And I'm a, a big digital expect. reader. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big digital reader. I mean, the Kindle, I think is the most wonderful experience in my life. I mean, to be a lifelong mm-hmm. reader and just to be able to one click something, and especially if you're reading a series and have it go straight to your Kindle. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. I'm it's not miraculous. knocking that at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's made, it is added so much joy to my life, but I will say I went in the other day and looked at my manage my content and I was shocked and it, I, like 450 Kindle books and that doesn't make me feel bad it, I mean the only thing that makes me feel bad is I haven't read them all um, mm-hmm. so I need to probably come up with a plan or just you know or just weed them out and say like yeah, okay I'm not going to read a lot of that <laughs> yeah yeah um, but it is kind of it is something to stop and think like I love this this is something that's brought me joy to my life um but I want to make sure that it keeps bringing me joy and it doesn't um like ever weigh me down or I don't feel defensive or you know guilty about this this is not this is joy so Mm -hmm. um I love that and and thinking about your challenge is you know it's sparked obviously sparked all these thoughts in my head so thank you for sharing all this um I speaking of joyful books do you want to talk about your book recommendations what have you been loving and recommending lately or is there something a book that you always recommend well, so we already talked about the kiss quotient, and I think that's probably really great for, um, I think particularly for um, romance newbies, I think it's a, just a really accessible story. It's sort of a gateway into romance tropes, into the romance genre. Um, I think um, for more established romance readers, um, if they haven't read Beverly Jenkins, um, I think she's um, she's she's somebody that a lot of people have sort of read her most recent series, but to delve into her backlist is kind of a magical experience. Um Honestly, I would recommend starting with Night Song and reading them in order. <laughs> you get an absolutely unbelievable picture of Black history through the lens of these romances that um, that that because they're sort of roughly chronological. I mean, they're not they're not exactly chronological, but they're roughly chronological. And I just I learned not only did I learn so much for them, I found them so satisfying in terms of like the the love and the justice, the peace that they show, <laughs> um, you know, without um yeah, without actually having to read a, you know, a, just a straight up history book. Yeah. Um, what I love about, I always say about, I love about Beverly Jenkins is that she makes me feel like I'm a kid again and I'm discovering things for the first time. And that, I don't think that's just about my privilege and that I'm like learning about, you know, black history for the first time. I think mm-hmm. it's also just the way she presents the, I'm looking at history through a whole new lens um through these people you know it's just i feel like a whole new world has opened up and it's my country that's been opened up and it's just it's just a and it's about love and hope and family and and it's just 
It's just beautiful. She, and I, love she, it. I know she gets recommended a lot, and you know, so a lot of people, you know, have sort of picked her up first, you know, as as mm. their you know black romance author. Um, but she she really is genuinely special. I mean, she's really yes. really spectacularly Definitely. talented writer. Um, and then I guess the last thing would be the thing I'm currently absolutely obsessed with, which is um, Kristen Callahan's Darkest London series. Um, it's paranormal. His- it's a paranormal historical series, six or seven books, something like that, set in Victorian London. Um, and the the thing that's so amazing about them is they are genuinely subversive. <laughs> um, the first <laughs> one is a it's a Beauty and the Beast, Phantom of the Opera type retelling. Um, and the but the heroine is is a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> um, she she uh, I don't want to I don't want to spoil her actual powers because you kind of don't find that out until later. But um, but they really they were they're subversive in a very satisfyingly deeply feminist way <laughs> um i i really i can't recommend them highly enough how many are in that series um i you know i i i, I wanted to say it was six three or I four think my library oh. has seven yeah no there's a lot oh more my gosh i thought it was short okay too, but it's not yeah it's it's so really, it's ask, fairly extensive okay so i asked for because i think i read the first one the first like, one's firelight we, yeah yeah, I know I have that one, and I might have read that when it first came out. So I loved it, but, you know, back in those days when you had to wait for a long time for books, no. <laughs> and I think, you know, I got distracted, and, you know, you, you move on to other genres or whatever. And then before I knew it, there was a whole series, and I haven't had a chance to go back, but I bought, like, four of them at our library's book sale, you know, where everyone comes in and brings books and then you can buy them for like 25 cents a piece so i mm-hmm. bought I, and so i'm familiar. like i'm not sure <laughs> yes so i'm not sure how much of this i need to go in and see because i think i've been kind of saving them because i'm like oh i've got the whole series now but i need to see how many more i need and then i think like there's gonna be a vacation this summer where i'm just like i'm going I'm doing them all. <laughs> yeah, definitely read them when you don't have to put them down or wait between books because it honestly you will not want to stop once you start. I I, I, Ooh, had, a, I had a plan. Now. I had a I had a plan for what I was going to read in March. And then I picked up Firelight and I was like, "Okay, there goes the plan. <laughs> I'm just going to read this whole series. That's what's going to happen in March." Yeah, I need to go check and see. I I probably if if it's a 6 or 7 book series and I'm probably missing two because I think I know I I think I picked up at least three or four so okay I'm excited I have a plan um <laughs> oh those are great recommendations well uh, before we go I just I am kind of curious what book is there a book or genre that people would be surprised that you read or are oh. you solely romance uh you know I I that's interesting I um you know, I, I started out really, even from being a child, as as mostly a fantasy and sci-fi reader. Um, you know, I I cut my teeth on Edward Eager. I don't know if you know. I mean, you have kids, so maybe you have. But it, these were like I think Edwardian. I mean, they're they're all really old, and my of course my library yeah. had them, um, which sort of led me into. Um, 
uh, and I can't remember who the art, who the author is, but like the girl with the silver eyes um, was sort of a sci-fi okay. YA middle group, maybe even more middle yeah, grade than YA. Yeah, that's ringing some bells. That's ringing yeah, some bells. Um, in like junior high. And so my love of sci-fi and fantasy carried me through, I mean, most of my 20s and 30s, really. I mean, I, and I read almost nothing else, you know, so <laughs> I think I, I it, people would probably think, oh, you've been reading nothing but romance since you were 15. No, that's not true at all. <laughs> in fact, it's it was mostly sci-fi and fantasy. So, you know, I, I think I, I was... I, my obsession for Neil Gaiman was um, was was monstrous and legendary. Yeah, I do think <laughs> Which, that most and I almost romance never authors. About him now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm not surprised. I mean, that's surprising because I haven't heard you talk about him. But it's not surprising because I feel like most hardcore romance fans are hardcore book fans in general. And so they will like Neil Gaiman or mystery books or is it Gaiman or Gaiman? Anyway. Um, or they have another genre where they can also dig into because they just like the reading and the the adventures that you can get from genre books. Mm-hmm. All right, are true. you ready for the are you ready for the lightning round? Sure. Yeah, yeah you are. Wait, what? It's fine. Is that? <laughs> I do a lightning yes, round at the end of every podcast. <laughs> yes, I'm ready for the lightning round. If you said no, I am done with you, I would also respect that answer. <laughs> this All right, dark or milk chocolate? Dark. Now I I made this special question for you as a baker. You have three choices. Your last dessert, pecan pie, red velvet cake, or banana pudding. Banana pudding. Oh, okay. Uh, coffee or tea? Coffee. When your phone rings, do you answer it? No. <laughs> How do you usually waste time on the internet? Oh, Twitter. <laughs> I, I, I was I was expecting it's not I was always expecting a waste like, of time. I was expecting makeup tutorials though too. I was wondering. <laughs> no, I don't consider that a waste of time. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> or you or or you'd say like, no, I've perfected my makeup. I don't need to spend time on there. <laughs> I <anymore."> wish. <laughs> um on your next vacation, will it be to the mountains or the beach? Oh mountains. Do you call it soda or pop? Soda. On a romance hero, do you prefer abs, forearms, or a chiseled jaw? Oh, forearms. Yes. On a book cover, are you more likely to buy one with a set of 12-pack abs or a beach scene? Oh, definitely the abs. Yeah. Speaking of what covers uh, indicate, right? (laughs) Yes, right. Exactly. And very important last question. What are your feelings about turning to the last page of a book first? Only when necessary. Okay. I get that. <laughs> when, when would it be necessary, Elizabeth? <laughs> um, when I'm reading KJ Charles, no, um, no. I, I think anytime, <laughs> anytime, anytime in the happily ever after is in serious doubt. It happens to me less mm. in romance than it does in other genres. But every once in a while, when I'm reading a romance, just why I bring up KJ Charles, who has a, a the the highest percentage of dead bodies in romance I think I've ever seen. Um, oh no. 
<laughs> oh yeah, no, not not heroes and heroines. Just just generally <laughs> okay. speaking, yeah, danger, danger, and and mayhem. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for being on. This has been fascinating. I feel like oh, um, we need to me, have I really had more a good time convers- talking with you. Of course, and I will put all the links to your um, to your blog if people want to p- check out their past content, but also to your new YouTube channel, which I bet a lot of people are going to be turning to now because um, they want to hear more about Romance One Hundred and One and hold you accountable to your uh, two thousand nineteen no buy challenge. I don't yes, know. Yes, please. We'll see I need if all she the can, accountability we'll, I can get. <laughs> we'll see if she can stick to that, ladies and gentlemen. If you fail, you have to come on here and tell us all about the book that made you break down and hand over your credit card. <laughs> <laughs>